Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME. T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Cheryl Kroviak. I'm the director of TMA's Education Center, and I produce the TMA Practice Well podcast, where we strive to provide CME and actionable quick tips that will help your practice thrive. This episode was recorded at TexMed 2023, TMA's annual conference. Viruses are everywhere, and it's not uncommon to face vaccine hesitancy when talking to your patients. A new survey of Texas residents shed some light on how patients are influenced about vaccines. Dr. Mary Manis shares some of the survey findings and offers tips to improve vaccination rates in Texas. Dr. Manis is a board-certified family medicine physician. She completed her training at the Corpus Christi Family Practice Residency Program after earning her medical degree from UTMB in Galveston and an MS in Biological Sciences from the University of Houston. She was an assistant professor of family medicine with Sam Houston State University College of Osteopathic Medicine and a clinical assistant professor of family medicine with the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. She's received research grants and produced multimedia programs focused on health and medical education. Her career philosophy in treating patients focuses on helping patients make healthier choices that will keep them happy and healthy. Dr. Manis chose medicine to make a difference in people's lives by helping them put their health first. In her free time, she enjoys the outdoors, reading, and spending time with family. And now, here is Dr. Manis on using vaccine-informed practices to navigate the new normal. 
Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate you being here. I'm Mary Manis. I'm a family physician from Conroe. The topic um, that I'm going to talk about today is using vaccine-informed practice to navigate the new normal. So first of all, of course, financial disclosure. None of the planners for this activity have any relevant financial relationships to disclose. Um, part of the planning was from the Texas Department of State Health Services. In fact, they supported this work with a Texas Vaccine Outreach and Education Grant. And they also have a disclaimer that the opinions and points of view expressed in this presentation represent the views of the presenter um, and may not represent the position and policies of DSHS. So who is the research team that I'm representing? It's a multidisciplinary team. Uh, mostly from the College of Health Sciences at Sam Houston State University. We've been working on this grant for approximately a year and a half and have a fairly big team. Uh, it's been very interesting and very enlightening and also very fun, and I'm happy to share our, some of our results with you. So learning objectives after participating, hopefully you will be able to list barriers to vaccine recommendation adherence to explain the components of vaccine-informed practice and address barriers to adherence in your own practices. So as part of having this presentation accepted, I needed to submit an abstract answering a question. So that was what is the practice-based problem TMA wanted to know. So what I submitted was, in other words, what needs to be addressed. And I thought that one of the important things to address aside uh, uh, and even apart from our research is the gap in vaccination. And I think we're, we've all been made more acutely aware of those gaps over the last several years. So the gap between current and best practice in vaccination is fairly significant for our state. For instance, um, rates in Texas for key vaccine preventable diseases are either below state public health goals or below U.S. Uh, vaccination rate goals set by public health experts. So, for instance, pertussis, state vaccination rates in 2021, and that's the latest data I could find, you know, to prepare for this presentation, for kindergarten students. So there are two groups that they track, kindergarteners and seventh graders. So for kindergarten students, 93.7% rate of vaccination for pertussis, seventh grade, 92.1. Now, state's public health goals are 95%. And, you know, honestly, when I first looked at those data, it doesn't seem so bad, right? You know, 93.7 versus 95. But when you consider the numbers of kindergartners in our state, that refers to a whole lot of children, tens of thousands of children that are under or unvaccinated for pertussis. So, for instance, also measles vaccination rates in 2021 among kindergartners, 94% versus the 95%. And I remember not that many years ago, a measles outbreak in Texas. And of course, this rate may have contributed to that. Meningococcal disease vaccination rates in 2021 for seventh graders, 91.9%, again, compared to our goal of 95. Vaccination rates for adolescents ages 13 to 17 in 2021 in Texas, 51.5%, but for the U.S. as a whole, 61.7%. That's a pretty big gap for a state of our size, especially. And then for influenza, vaccination rates for adults, Texas, 39.0, U.S., 46.5%. So as you can see, some of those gaps are, are, are larger than others, and influenza is an important one. We look at 
every year. Um, COVID-19 vaccination rates, again, for 2021, the latest data that the CDC had published by this year. Now, the data are a little bit different uh, collected for the U.S. as a whole and for our state. So I did want to point that out. Not specifically comparable percentages here, but in Texas, ages six months and older, 51.5. For the United States, for all ages, 80.9. So big discrepancy there, big gap to try to address. I wanted to break that down a bit into um, racial and ethnic gaps and disparities for those who received at least one COVID-19 vaccination. Among Asians, 77% were vaccinated uh, at least one time for for COVID-19. Hispanic, 68%. Black, 55%. And white, 49%. So those numbers are probably lower than any of us would like to see for any sort of vaccination goal. A couple of special populations I wanted to mention. Only 40% of pregnant women for the last year recorded, 2019 to 2020, had received both Tdap and influenza by the time they gave birth. Less than 25% of adults ages 65 and older, at least in 2017, had received all the recommended vaccines for their age. Those last two numbers were fairly appalling, I have to say, as 40 and less than 25%. is just a huge gap. So... If we've identified some of these gaps, and I believe each of you could identify those for your own practice, especially with the assistance of our friends at EHR companies, gaps exist between current and best vaccine practices in our practices individually and certainly in our state. So another thing that our research group wanted to do was try to break this down. Let's drill down on on maybe why these barriers are here and how might we address them. So first, we looked at what the barriers are. We went to the World Health Organization for a definition of vaccine hesitancy. They defined it, and interestingly, even in 2017, vaccine hesitancy is having a lower trust in vaccines. And I underline trust because we'll, we'll readdress that in a sec. Having doubt or indecisiveness about vaccination that leads to a delay in acceptance or an outright refusal of vaccines despite their availability. So breaking that down into three components, the WHO decided that complacency was the first component. Now, this is a low perceived risk of vaccine-preventable diseases. And I want to star that because I think that's one area that we as physicians can address. Another area of complacency, other life or health issues of greater priority. I certainly see that in my practice. Um, second component, convenience. Lack of accessibility, availability, affordability, and acceptability of services. I think specifically we might be able to address things like accessibility and even acceptability. The way we present vaccine information to our patients directly, even the way we interact with our staff, and then the way they may present information or interact with patients over vaccine information is very important. I believe, to patients' acceptability. And finally, confidence, low levels of trust, there's that word, in vaccines, in delivery system, and in health authorities. And remember, this was 2017. So the things that we've seen most recently in vaccine hesitancy are not new. I guess they're more associated with human nature than the vaccines themselves. Statewide Vaccine Confidence Survey was what we determined. We spent several months coming up with a 121-item survey. 
That's a really long survey, and there are a lot of a lot of time that had to be taken to complete that survey. But there were 4,700 respondents that were verified. Uh, we stopped collecting surveys at that point because that was the number that was felt to be significant for our state. So the survey itself was approved by DSHS reviewers, and it was deployed in 2022. We actually, as an aside, deployed surveys to physicians and other healthcare workers, and you won't be surprised to hear that it was a lot more difficult to get physicians to respond than it was to get citizens in general to respond to that survey. Um, so if any of you responded, appreciate it, but that was a, a lot of work to get to get practicing physicians to break away and, and do a 121-question survey. So, uh, But we did get those data. We'll be analyzing those later. The first set of data that we analyzed were of, of respondents who did not identify as healthcare workers. So there were a lot of trends. Uh, this is all preliminary data, and it will be published later. But I did want to let you know some of the things about positive vaccine outlook that we found. So we looked at answers to certain questions and then whether patients had said that they had had a vaccine of any sort the prior year. So was there, were there any correlations? And if so, what were they? So in agreement with the statement vaccines are good for our society, 84% of those who said that they had received a vaccine the prior year agreed with that statement. 81% agreed with the statement vaccines are good for my health. I had the advantage of looking at those questions beforehand, before we deployed them. And, and honestly, some of the, the results were surprising to me. I don't know that I would have thought that that first statement would have been agreed with more than that second statement, but those were the data. And then vaccines prevent illnesses, 83 point something uh, agreed. And then being vaccinated gives me peace of mind actually was surprised at 75%. So these are items that, that are important to people in making their decision about accepting and receiving vaccinations. Less so, but still significant uh, statistically, where side effects from vaccines are minimal. So I don't know that I was surprised that that was an important thing that people agreed with before they decided to get their vaccine, or as they did, but only 71%. I found that to be interesting, too. Those points are correlated with patients deciding to have vaccines. So what might be the opposite? What might lead people to not to, to decide not to get a vaccine? The following items were correlated with respondents who had not received a vaccine the prior year of any sort. Vaccinations cause autism. 20.5% agreed with that statement. Vaccines cause the diseases they are meant to prevent. 18.9%. That actually surprised me, too. I think that's a high number. Hearing from my patients personally, I do get that response. But honestly, I didn't think statewide we would see that kind of number. So I thought these were significant things to share because those are directly linked to our ability to provide information that may affect patients' decisions. With limited time in the office, trying to pick something that is so significant to our patients, I think is a good idea going forward. Now, what I also found interesting, no strong correlation with the following statements, I understand how vaccines work. So patients are okay not understanding how vaccines work. I think they trust us, us and other authorities to decide that. But a little bit surprisingly, too, vaccine governance by schools, government agencies, and employers. None of those responses correlated with a negative outlook about vaccines, which led to patients not receiving a vaccine the prior year. So that was a little bit different maybe than what we've seen in the media. 
Preliminary analysis also looks promising in that positive outlook appears to overcome negative. In other words, they looked at, our wonderful biostatistician looked at, patients who had the negative outlook but actually did get the vaccine, and patients who had positive outlook who didn't. And in looking at that data, it appears that positive outlook can overcome negative. And information from trusted, trust again, sources influences positive outlook for our respondents. So sources of information. Sources of vaccine information, some interesting data, you know, respondents were presented with all of these choices and they could choose all or none. So that's why we are going from zero to over 60% and those don't all in congregate add to, to uh, 100%. So instant message are very low. Uh, academic journals, you know, less than 10%. Okay, podcasts, 10%. Thought that was a little low, maybe. Other, and, and we'll be able to drill down on that further, but this was preliminary. Newspaper and radio, I thought that was interesting. Over 20% of respondents said they received vaccine information from those sources. Other internet, and, and that means other than social media. Other internet was near 30. Social media, almost 40%. Television, not surprisingly, probably was over 60%. So that's where our patients, the respondents of the survey, are saying they get their sources of vaccination information. And that that data, we couldn't find anywhere else. That's new data, um, at least for the state of Texas. Um, and we'll be using that to develop modules and other educational uh, information for physicians and others that help patients make those vaccination decisions. Um, number one is the most important. It's doctors, nurses, and medical staff were identified by the respondents as their most influential sources of information. I wasn't really thinking that wouldn't be the case, but I was a little afraid. And I was very happy to see that, yes, we're number one. Second, I was surprised by this, government officers. And really surprising to me personally, third, religious leaders. I wouldn't have anticipated that respondents would have named that source as number three for vaccine information. Social media influencers were fourth. Politicians were fifth. Friends and colleagues, sixth, family members, seventh, and then eighth, celebrities, and ninth, teachers and professors, although those last two categories were not um, statistically significant, they were at the bottom. It made us happy when we saw the data that we had spent that much time trying to collect it because it, I don't think even the experts would have predicted that, at least for our state. So, Okay, so we have that data. We're working towards now what can we do to overcome barriers. We know a little bit more perhaps, about those barriers in the state. So what can we do to overcome them? Broad literature searches and focus group interviews and expert consultations, we came up with vaccine-informed practice. So let me explain a little bit more about that. Based on our survey results, it appears that we can address vaccine hesitancy in our patients by discussing health benefits of vaccination, by discussing risk and safety associated with vaccines, but I believe equally as important discussing these in ways that promote their trust. If we're number one in trusted source, we need to maintain that. We, we need to make sure that we stay there and that the information that we present as their trusted source is accurate, uh, but it addresses their concerns and their hesitancies. So vaccine-informed practice. That is using motivational interviewing 
to help patients manage their mixed feelings, perhaps, about getting vaccinated. I don't know that anyone walks in 100% and says, I am fully and completely confident. Please give me my vaccination today and tell me when my next one is due. I don't, maybe your patients say that to you. I don't have any that say that to me. When patients talk about their views, though, especially about the benefits of vaccination, it can help change the way they process their choices and move them forward to use certain tools and techniques from motivational interviewing. So reinforcing the trust and rapport that you have built with your patients, even and especially when discussing topics where you may disagree, we can do this by focusing on changes that are consistent with our patients' needs and values and within the context of their culture, family dynamics, and other factors. We can show empathy and compassion for our patients, trying to balance their and their family's health with information about vaccine effectiveness, safety, and risk. We all know that they are bombarded, and we saw all those sources that they use for vaccine information by all sorts of information, whether it's vetted and accurate or not. So we really need to take the lead in helping them do that. We need to express curiosity and respect when discussing our patients' beliefs to improve and strengthen that collaboration between us. This is nothing new for any of us who, who care for patients. To maintain trust takes respect and regard. And if we don't show those things, then that leads to distrust, and our patients do not listen to us about recommendations, including those about vaccinations. So motivational interviewing is collaborative. It's patient-centered, and it's targeted to specific objectives. So in using motivational interviewing for vaccination, we would specifically address that. It wouldn't be all preventive care would be specifically vaccination. Communication between patient and physician that results in patient's authorization or agreement to undergo a specific medical intervention. I just throw that in there to remind us all, hey, that's our responsibility. Informed consent is our responsibility, even if the procedure is a vaccination. Physicians should present relevant information that includes the nature and purpose, of course, of the intervention, the burdens, risks, and expected benefits of all options, including foregoing treatment. So the more open and transparent I believe that we can be with our patients about those things, including their decision maybe to not get the vaccine, will be important. So methods, we're asking open-ended questions. What do you, what do you think? You're due for your influenza vaccine. It's flu season. What do you think about getting that today? Whatever the response is, if it's negative or kind of middle of the road, why are you hesitating? Tell me your concerns. How, how might I answer some questions for you that would help you feel more confident? Uh, tell me about your experiences before. Why are you saying, you know, that you think you got the flu with the last vaccination? Let's discuss that a bit. We can directly repeat and simply reflecting and respond what our patient's telling us, you know, to let them know we've heard them. And we can get more complicated than that and kind of go that next step. This is what I think you're telling me. So motivational interviewing goals, we are affirming our patient's strengths, and those strengths might be their knowledge about vaccinations. That's, those strengths might be their desire to improve their health, their family's health, their community's health. We want to validate their concerns, however. I, I don't think it's useful to pretend that there are no adverse effects from vaccinations. There obviously are, as any medication or other substance that's presented to any human being, there's going to be some potential adversity. So I think that needs to be transparent. Ask what the issues are and the concerns are. Provide accurate information in respectful ways and verify that the patient has heard you and that you have heard the patient. Then summarize the interaction. Okay, I'm hearing you say, that you're not opposed to getting the influenza vaccine, but today's not the day. You want to do some more research on this season's vaccines. That's fine. Let's make you an ancillary visit appointment when you get those labs in three weeks, and we'll get you that vaccine at that time. 
Motivational interviewing, another method. If patients say yes, then get the vaccination done right then and acknowledge their positive decision. If they're saying maybe, then schedule it for later. Okay, but our next visit, we'll talk about this again. Now, if the answer is no, ensure the patient understands their decision. And the World Health Organization actually says to make sure the patient understands vaccine-preventable disease that's being addressed by the vaccination. And I think one of the results of our survey um, kind of pointed to that. And then notify healthcare providers when seeking care. They actually advise patients to let others know, hey, I haven't had this vaccine. Certainly when they're presenting in urgent care with a cough, those providers need to know that they haven't had their influenza vaccine. So things that we need to focus on, I, I don't think any of this is new, but I also don't think it's, it's ever a bad idea to forget to have this in mind when we're talking to our patients. We're trying to guide them. We're trying to build that trust. We're trying to explore their doubts. We're trying to consider their perspectives, and we then will try to reflect on our patients' responses. I remind you to read the article in JAMA about AI about artificial intelligence and the comparisons between patient perception of information provided through artificial intelligence versus information provided by physicians. It's very interesting, a tiny bit scary, and it's going to keep us on our toes for the foreseeable future. But avoiding these things that are not found in in AI, I would assume, um, like directing, uh, you'll get your vaccine today. That sounds like a good idea. I'm not sure from a motivational interviewing standpoint that that actually is the best thing to say to each and every patient. Identifying and solving the problem you do for your vaccine, we're going to give it to you today. I know there's there's some advice, and it may be very legitimate advice, to make statements like that. From the motivational interviewing standpoint, I've always had a little bit of a concern with it. I think it tends to rob our patients at times of their autonomy. Um, and it's nice to be able to give your patients the information they need to make the best decision for themselves. And so I, I think that maybe is, is a point to remember. Arguing, debating, we know that just doesn't work. Ignoring their concerns doesn't work. And rushing, yes, we're all rushing. But we also have to give our patients the understanding that we are also listening, even though we're typing in a hurry. Uh, we may not have 100 percent eye contact. We are making eye contact and we are hearing what they're saying. So methods, ask permission to discuss vaccination. If yes, proceed with motivational interviewing and then respond to questions about vaccination. And, you know, there are lots of good resources. Of course, I wanted to mention a couple, DSHS and CDC. They both have excellent websites. I'm I'm sure you've seen, but our patients are so tech savvy that I think providing them those resources directly with websites, I think that's also a good idea. So I found a couple of practice tips, and this was from Annals of Family Medicine, written by some Canadian primary care physicians. So the first one was leave the door open. And they talked about approaching conversations as doors that can be opened or shut. And this resonated with me and my experiences with patients. If you say something to shut a door, like labeling people's experiences or perspectives as uninformed or silly, there's a good chance the door may never open again. And you kind of see it in your patient's face, right? If you've ever made that statement or seen that situation, it's done. You know, they're probably not going to listen to you, at least on that subject, in the same way again. You've lost a bit of that trust, perhaps. You might not have a yes to vaccination today, but you can't get closer to your patient considering it if you let the door shut. 
Second and last practice tip, peel the onion. So like so much else in medicine, you've got to gently pull back those layers to get to the real source of the hesitancy. And I'm assuming you found the same thing that I have, that initial response. If you give it a second, like, no, I'm not going to get that today. If you give it just a second or two and say, would you tell me why? Would you tell me your concerns? Why are you worried about that vaccination? Uh, is there anything I can help you understand better or get you some more information about? Just giving that little pause and, and doing that second, I guess, peeling that second layer is really important in, in adherence. Once the layers are peeled back and you've got the patient's actual concern, then you can start looking for common ground. And like with everything else, that often doesn't happen in one visit. Uh, yeah, need to plan for the long conversation. And yes, I'm making that statement as a family physician, but um, I believe it's true in medicine in general, right? As we build our, our relationships with our patients, the keywords there I thought were gently pulling back those layers and, and really continuing the relationship, again, built on trust. So what will you take away to your practices to address barriers in vaccination? As you see your patients again, we're actually interested in hearing the answer to that question. Our research is continuing. In fact, we're funded through 2025. So we are looking at, of course, further data analysis, 4,700 respondents, 121 questions, multiple data points to each question. There's just a mountain of data, so it's being sorted through. We're, we're going to continue in that way. Vaccine confidence modules. We've actually developed the first one-pager module that will be rolling out. DSHS will have accessibility to that information on its website eventually. Um, I also wanted to use this time to ask you to contact me, not only for any like success story maybe or something you feel like this presentation missed or something you'd like us to dig into the data more for. If you have an interesting or what you feel to be inspiring story about experiences related to vaccinations, success stories, maybe not success stories, something that you feel like speaks to your fellow physicians in particular, please let me know. And then I wanted to end with this, let's do the job, let's help our patients get healthy and help them improve the, the health of their communities and of society that they obviously are interested in doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Manis. To our listeners, we hope you found this episode valuable and takeaway techniques that you're able to incorporate into your conversations with your patients. To claim CME for this episode, just click on the Claim CME in the episode description and follow the instructions provided. If you're interested in contacting Dr. Manis, go to the episode CME description and open the resource document under the Materials tab. Remember to like and follow TMA Practice Well to receive every episode. Until next time, stay well.